Abba Father, I love you and I thank you so much for each person that's here. Um, Your voice is a still small voice. Sometimes you you yell, you know, it's loud. God, we've got to have ears to hear right now. And hearts that are willing to love you and walk with you. And I ask for a lot of grace, please. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's talk about faith for just a bit. And I'm going to move this forward to give me just a little more room here. So, um, based on the Greek text, we worked a couple Sundays ago through Hebrews 11.1. And giving you the literal rhythm and the syntax of the original text, it goes like this. Is now faith? And And the syntax means you bet it is. Is, really is. Now faith consistently hope assured like a title deed. And of the things accomplished, conviction. Proving the truth, though consistently not seen. Now let me put it, this is, this is my paraphrase of the original language. It's going to be this. Faith is the hope that is always assured like it owns a title deed. Faith is a deep conviction of the reality of the things being accomplished by God that we can't see. There's two participle verbs in there. We never get to see him. It's like almost always we don't get to see his hand. And that's why faith is hard. Because God doesn't have to run, you know, meet with us like a committee and get a prearranged approval on what his plans are. He's working and we don't see it. We don't see what's going on behind the veil. But he's there. And so we have this deep core conviction that he's busy about these kinds of things. And we have this, this kind of hope. Like we own the guarantee to the property. Like we've got the title deed. That is what faith is. So therefore, we conclude that faith is not about getting from God what we want. But rather, faithfulness and faith to God is our committing to what he wants. That is faith. All right. Now there's a problem here. What do you do when your heart on earth is breaking because you're lonely? Loneliness is like a wrecking ball in your life. Or you're on the verge of financial bankruptcy. And the financial pressures are like this wrecking ball that hammers you. And, and we could go on and on and on with the problems and the dilemmas that we face. Things that are, that are life-changing like the the loss of a child or infertility, the death of a spouse, the death of a parent. And it goes on and on and on so that we have this, this thing on earth where our hearts are aching and our hearts are breaking for something we long for. And yet we've reconciled that we may never have it on earth, ever. Even though we pray about it, even though we fast, even though we, we run through all these disciplines, we still will not get what we've asked. And guess what? You ready? It's not because we have an inadequate, immature, dysfunctional faith. It's because it's the will of God. And that stings. Because sometimes if we're not careful, we're sold this bill of goods that if you have faith in its purest form, that you get what you want. And there's something profoundly and fundamentally flawed with that idea that God is a cosmic Santa Claus ready to give us whatever we ask. 
God is not manipulative. God is not a capitalist kind of God ready to prosper us and give us everything we want just because we ask him. That's not who he is. There's a level of sovereignty and mystery about the kingdom of God that we will never understand this side of heaven. And so it's not so much that faith is blind. It's not blind. It's not this leap in the dark that Soren Kierkegaard suggested. No, no, no. It's not totally blind. There are some things that we can see. But boy, there's a lot we can't see and we won't see. And our answers that we're not going to have. And it hurts. And that doesn't mean God is bad. It means there are things we don't understand. I heard a wise man say this to me years ago. He said, if I have all the facts, if I could get all the facts, God's will is exactly what I would choose. (laughs) I just don't have all the facts, do I? You don't either. If we had all the facts... God's will is exactly what we would choose. But the tension is we don't have all the facts. We have some. And can we trust those things? So that's what faith is. This is what it's about. right? It's not, it's not some Santa Claus in the sky. And, and if we just have the purest form of faith, he somehow is obligated to give us things. Let me read this. And I want you to, I want you to, to, to have ears to hear. I want you to get this and listen closely to these people and what they endured. By faith, Abraham, when he was called by God, he obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents, with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for a city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself received the ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, there was born even of one man and him as good as dead, as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Now this is Hebrews eleven thirteen. All of a sudden, you know, walking through these names, you know, Noah did this, and Abraham did that, and Sarah, this this catalog of people that are said to have faith, the real thing. He stops, and in verse 13 to 16, the author of Hebrews kind of gives a little mini-sermon. He gives some interpretive ideas, because if you don't get these ideas, you're kind of missing the whole point. So check this out. All these people that we just read about, they died in faith without receiving the promises. Now, whoa, put the brakes on. I thought if you had faith, you'd get what you want. Look what he says. These people died in faith without receiving the promises. They didn't get everything they wanted. But having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed, they were strangers and exiles on the earth. You know what that means in modern English? They're not home yet. There was a, there was a, a black preacher. 
named Frederick Sampson. And I'm telling you, nobody can preach like Frederick Sampson. God put something in his heart no white guy is ever going to have, okay? I'm just, just get it out there. Frederick Sampson, he was an MD, a medical doctor, and decided to go to seminary, okay? And he had a, he had a church in Detroit, Michigan. And oh my gosh, when that man preached, it was like thunder. I, it's, just, it's just a cool thing. Frederick Sampson told the story about a missionary he knew. And the missionary had sacrificed his whole life on the, on the, on the field in this impoverished, third world, miserable cultural context. He gave his life away, and now he's an old, old man. Children lived, children buried, lost his wife. A lonely, worn out missionary that's an old man with nothing. The mission trips over, and he's coming back to the States to live out his years and die. He's in a hotel, a hotel room to get started. And there happens to be a city event going on, and one of the local, I think it was a football team or something, had won, and there was a giant parade celebrating, you know, the, this big event in sports. And this old man is looking out the window, and he starts crying. Of course, by now, Fred is, Frederick is screaming, and so you got goosebumps, but okay, and I can't tell a good story like he can. This old missionary is pretty upset. And the, uh, a, a a housekeeper's there, and the housekeeper's kind of getting his room ready. And she said, why are you crying? And he said, you know, I gave my whole life to sacrificing for people in the most impoverished, miserable context of life. I buried children. I buried my wife. I come home. Does anybody welcome me? Does anybody say, gee, thanks, Pastor, for sacrificing 50 years on the mission. Do I get anything? And look. Some little high school kid makes a touchdown, they win a championship. Look at the parade. Look at this. He didn't know that this little housekeeper was a Christian. And she said, sir, you're not home yet. That's all she said. You're not home yet. There is a parade coming. (laughs) But not now. So lock on to that idea. There will be a parade. Not now. Now, guess what? Some of you here get that backwards. Right now, you want the, the parade. Who cares about what's coming? I want the parade right now. Who cares about what's coming? Well, Hebrews 11 flips that. So pay attention to verse 13. All these people died in faith without getting the parade, without receiving the promises. But having seen them, having welcomed them, having confessed that they were strangers and exiles in the earth. For those say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. In other words, yeah, there are people that want to set up nations on earth, but not for Christians. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. If you want an earthly home, go back where you came from. Go back where you come from. But as for us Christians, for these followers... They desired a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he is preparing for them a city. Look at verse 17. So now he picks up this list. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. That's like going against all the logic of getting what you want from God. Verse 18. And it it was he to whom it was said, and Isaac 
your descendants will be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type, as a prefigure of Jesus. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob, Esau, even regarding things to come. By faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning on his staff. And let's see if you Bible scholars can pick up the problem in verse 22. You guys ready? By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. Is there a problem with verse 22? By faith, Joseph made mention of the exodus. What? He wasn't part of the exodus. How much not a part of the exodus? There you go. Thank you, Joe. I was wondering if somebody could catch that. We're talking hundreds of years. He is prophesying forward the exodus of Israel. And there's this little mini exodus. He says, take my bones out of Egypt and bury them in the promised land. So you get this little mini mini exodus where a box of bones of Joseph is is going to be carried through Egypt and brought to this promised land and somehow Joseph knew. How's that for the Holy Spirit? And thinking in a prophetic way. The Holy Spirit guiding Joseph to believe that all of the people group of the Hebrews, the river crossers, the Hebrews, were going to one day come to this promised land prefiguring that there is a city in heaven. All right, let's dig in. I want you guys to get this. This is really, really important. Um, there are seven people mentioned. You've got Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. And then you get this little block of scripture in between that, that offers some teachings so that you better understand about these, these seven figures. Here's what I want you to, to check out here. Look at this. These are three critical verbs that unlock the scripture. You ready? All these died in faith without receiving. That's a participle. You, you want steak this morning? Here we go. Come on, Greek scholars. What's a participle verb? What is it? Ongoing. What's that? Ongoing. It's ongoing. In other words, they didn't receive it, and they were never going to receive it. It's, normal, it's a normal characteristic thing. This one, having, having, having welcomed. It's another participle. They repeatedly welcomed a promise a long way off. They could, they could see it in the distance, and they welcomed it. But it's still a long way off. Sir, you're not home yet. Sir, you're not home yet. I'm saying, I'm greeting, I'm welcoming something way off. And then this last thing, it's another participle verb. Having confessed. You guys ready for some meat? Guess what? This verb, this participle verb, it's middle voice. It means I'm welcoming for my own sake. Because if you live on earth and you let the stuff of earth rule in your hearts, as a Christian, you're going to go insane. You're going to go crazy. Talk about a dysfunctional mess on planet earth. It's here. With marriages, children, parents, government, the political mess. 
there are people that are elected officials in our nation that want us to move towards socialism. It's insane. Check out Venezuela. How, how, you know, and why is it that those people, socialists, are leaving <coughs> socialist bases to come to a capitalist base? Why? Why would they do that? If socialism's so great, why don't you go to Venezuela and stay there? What about, what about the, the, this Sazar lady that wants to make America a Muslim nation? If she loves the sandbox, go back to the sandbox. Go. This is a messed up, dysfunctional world. And, I, and I'm not even getting into the, the, the thick of the nasty. It's a nasty place, all right? And if we let this stuff, it's going to ruin, it, it'll ruin us. We'll be so discouraged. We, it, it's just a mess. You know what? For our own sake, for this, our own sanity, we better welcome the promises. We better have hope. Even the stuff that's in a distance that we can barely see, we better learn to say hi. We better learn to greet and welcome these promises. Even though we may not receive them on earth in our lifetime. Not going to get them. Sir, you're not home yet. What about confession? Having confessed. By the way, it's a cool word. It literally means to say the same things. That's confession. Do you know what? When we refuse to confess as believers that we really are strangers and exiles on earth, we, get, we, 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 we create a mess. If, if, we, if we as Christians set our heart on the things of earth and our deepest heart affection and our mind's concentration, our mind's attention is set on nothing more than the things of earth, we're going we're gonna to bear the fruit of that. That's the outcome. We're going to be worldly people. We need to confess that we're not home yet. We are not home yet. And for some of us, we have a hard time confessing what's real. We want God to become a God crafted in our image who does what we want and he bends to our will. That's what we want. And we confess that's what we want. And the idea that we've got to confess the opposite, that we have to bend to his will, is hard. And that's where faith gets expensive. And that's why a lot of people look at Christianity and go, no way. The price tag is too high. I don't want to follow God at that level. What I really want is to God to bless me and my plans, and he bends to my will like a cosmic good guy, cosmic Santa Claus, or a really generous daddy papa kind of figure. That's what I want, but God says no. No, I am God. I am the potter, you are the clay. I am the vine, you are the branches. And it's hard to get that. And sometimes we, can, we have a hard time confessing the truth. Let's put it this way. I want you to see it this way. Look at this. Look at these people. Regarding Noah, sometimes it's hard to take God seriously and do his will with reverence. It says, it says back in, in the beginning here, it says, By Noah being warned by God about things not seen, in reverence prepared the ark. Prepared an ark for the salvation of his household. And when he did it, he condemned the world. Sometimes it's hard to take God seriously and to do his will with reverence. Do it anyway. Do the will of God. Do it anyway. Sometimes we have more reverence. You ready for this one? 
opening up the box on our brand new iPhone. It's like it's a holy moment. Look at that apple white. It's holy. It's like we have more reverence opening up our case on an iPhone or a new phone, a new electronic. But when it comes to like going to church, is there reverence there? If I find out any of you are on Facebook right now, (laughs) do you take seriously the will of God? Noah did. By the way, when Noah was given the instructions to build a boat, had it rained? No. How's that for illogical faith? (laughs) In other words, a hydrosphere, and it brought in natural moisture. Didn't need to rain. Wow, sometimes it's hard to take God seriously and do his will with reverence. Noah did it. Do it anyway. How about this one? Abraham, some of us are so afraid of losing control that we can't obey God unless we have all the answers with terms and conditions first. Okay, you want me to go where, God? Okay, let me get my GPS on that. And we want to get, get it all figured out first. But it says that Abraham left not knowing where he was going. Some of you ladies believe that your husband still does not know where he is going. Sarah, it's hard to obey God when, when your reality says it's impossible. You think she was postmenopausal at 90-something years old? Yeah. Her reality said it's impossible. She obeyed God anyway. Abraham, again, sometimes obeying God means being being willing to give up the most important thing to you. Obey God anyway. Isaac, as a parent, it can be hard to bless your children, especially the children that disappoint you, frustrate you, and break your heart. Don't raise your hands. Any parents here struggle with your kids and some of their decisions? And you think, I raised you better than that. I taught you the way of right and and knowing right from wrong. And you still choose wrong. And you get so frustrated at him. It's like, ah. Isaac still blessed his children even though they disappointed him. Jacob, sometimes it's hard to be spiritually on point with all your kids. He had a lot of them. Be spiritually on point anyway. Even when you're tired and old and exhausted, still believe that God is doing something magnificent. Sometimes being faithful to God means you stop being bitter towards people and see the goodness in God's plan. I know many of you struggle right there. Genesis 50, 20 it's the final confrontation between Joseph and his brothers. And Joseph, and they were afraid because dad had died and now Joseph has no accountability to, to Pops. He could have all his brothers executed and he doesn't. And he says, guys, look, what you meant for evil, or, or what, what you meant against me was evil. And I love that, that Joseph is a truth teller. It would be, you would need to be on my caseload if you said, Oh, but you, that's no big deal. The whole pit thing and the blood and the, the cell. No, don't worry about it. I probably deserved it. Uh, you, need to, you need to see me. You need a therapist. Okay? If that's how you do it. He called it for what it was. 
What you did against me was evil. But he said, God meant it for good. There's a lot here on earth that can cause bitterness. Forgive anyway. See the bigger picture. Be like Joseph. See that goodness can be a part of God's plan. Find the good and forgive anyway. Now you're the gifted body of Christ. Do you believe that you have faith? And do you believe it's the real faith? The faith that is not God, you know, I'll have faith in you if you bend to my will. It's God, I have faith in you even when you don't do my will. That's faith. When we don't get what we want. It's easy to obey when things go well. By the way, in in seminary, we have a little expression. It goes like this. When things go well with us pastors, we're theologians. (laughs) When it goes poorly, we are leprous beggars. Our lives fall apart. It's a little joke. Meaning when things go well, we think all is good and God is good. And we're experts on God when things go well. We become theologians. We're experts on God. But when our life is broken and, and we're crushed by loneliness and divorce and the mess of life, then all of a sudden we, come, we become beggars and we become leprous and, and, and we can't get our thoughts together. And, and someone says, what's wrong? And we go, I don't know, but it's bad. You know, it's like all of a sudden we have no answers about anything. It's like we go stupid when it gets bad. But when it goes well, we're experts on life. That's not faith. That's not faith at all. The author of Hebrews is saying, these people give us examples of faith. Any of you men, do you think you could build a boat? Seriously, is it hard to build a boat? But can it be done? I think we can do it. That's faith. You can build a boat. Can you, can you forgive? Yeah. You can forgive. So let me tie it off with this before I hand it over to you. The word uh, in Greek that says welcome the promises, it's really interesting. That word in the New Testament is almost exclusively used for people. It's a people word. It's a relationship word. It means something like this. Hi. Oh, it's you. I am so glad to see you. Greeting. In fact, Jesus used it this way. If you only say hello, some of you are memorizing, it's this Matthew 5, 47, Stephen and Mason are memorizing all the Sermon on the Mount. And I think Brandon is too. Um, Matthew 5, 47. If you greet only those who greet you, what is that? Even the Gentiles you know, can say hi to each other. I want you to learn to greet people that you have a hard time getting along with. That's the word greet. <clears throat> learn to welcome people that you struggle with. And then Jesus says in Matthew 10, he says, when you're on mission trip and you go to somebody's house, give them your greeting. Same word. Welcome them. And then when, when Paul goes through the litany in Romans 16, greet so-and-so, greet so-and-so, greet so-and-so. It's all the same word. It's always about people saying welcome to people. It's about relationships. And Paul wraps it up in, in Romans 16, 16. Greet everyone with a holy kiss. All the churches greet you. In other words, 
We should be welcoming people. Hi, I've missed you. It's also used to say goodbye. I'm going to miss you. Oh, I got to miss you. And you watch as a car drives off and your grandkids drive away. And you're like, oh, man, I miss my kids. But you welcome them. That's the very word. He's, he's saying, I want you to consider the promises of God to be like a friend that you've longed to see. And they're at a distance. It's called faith. Sir, you're not home yet. You need to have real faith. Now you're the gifted body of Christ. How would we live this out? How can you lift it off the page from 2,000 years ago and put it right here inside our hearts so that we as family can live this out and have the kind of faith that lets us do this kind of stuff? Counsel yourselves. Maybe we need to hear from the prophet. Maybe the person of mercy or encouragement or the discerner. You're the gifted body of Christ. Why does this matter? How do we live it out? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble in its own. Wow. Wow. If God can clothe a flower, if God can feed a bird, you won't go naked and starving. You're going to be okay. The birds are still fine even though it's 20 degrees outside. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah Maria. wonderful relationship to where it's not a struggle to share our daughter's life together. And she sees us as parents being able to get along Mm -hmm. and not cause tension or hardship because Mm -hmm. I've seen it in so many other families where (coughs) we need each other. And I didn't want that for her. So I relied on God to be able to show me how to be Forgiving and merciful, and even with him retaliating certain days, I still forgave him, and it was not, uh, I had a lot of people tell me to do the opposite, but I decided that this was better. I'm proud of you, Maria. If you had ears to hear, you heard her tell a story about welcoming a promise from a distance. Let me explain why this is true. Did Jesus say that we're supposed to forgive? As we have been forgiven, she welcomed the promise at a distance. It's like a loving friend and family member way out there, and you go, I think it's them. That's their car. Oh, it's them. They're coming. Here's the promise. That's what Jesus did. Because 
God forgave you. You should forgive. Mason. Chris, I'd like to ask a question. If you want to steer it a different way, then, then here it comes. I'll give you that freedom. To do so. uh, but those first, that first verse when you said, "These all die in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar." I would love to hear from a few people or a couple people in this audience that uh, of those promises that they that they keep close, that give them life, um, that they greet from afar. And because I know that in times of my life when I feel like I'm not in control, then it's it's like everything around me is crumbling. Uh, and so I would like to hear what some of those promises are that are extremely meaningful to some of the people here that they hold on to. That they may not receive, but they hold on. So, in other words, which promises are you welcoming? And which ones help you make it through the day to give you hope? What promise is holding your life together? Joni? God, he draws near to you. Someone else, a promise you cling to. Somebody else? Maria? I was going to say peace. Peace, my peace I give you. Someone else, a promise you that helps you hold your life together. Linda. That should be on Facebook. When the world goes stupid, keep your eyes on Jesus. <laughs> That's good stuff. The prophet has spoken. Do you want me to translate? Do you want me to translate? Uh, hey, it is funny. It's funny. You can just leave Ruben? Yes, yes. They, they were holding on to something they couldn't see. Right. Yes. That's welcoming the promise from distance. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We were speaking in tongues at Christchurch. I want you to know. <laughs> Good stuff. Good stuff. 
Someone else, I promise you, cling to that makes your life, keeps you, keeps you in equilibrium. You can make it through the day. Denise. Yes, and honestly, this is what this whole thing's about. All the, it's about real estate. <laughs> Where's home? It's about real estate. Where's home? And for these people with faith, they're going, it's not here. Home is not here. Sir, we're not home yet. Exactly, exactly. Cody. Uh, Mason, I'd say uh, something, the verse in the Proverbs, Heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Just grace and truth, the same statement. So, and in keeping what Jackson said, you keep that kingdom mindset, you'll know quickly when that step, when you feel out of control, when that step is quicksand. It's not casino, it's like, whoa, whoa. But you have the grace that God gives you, the ability to plan your way. But He'll show you, if you seek it, He'll firm the steps. And even though they may not make sense, even though they may not feel in control, the ground will fill. Uh, that's a ground. Then the way I've experienced it in my life is it's like I didn't have to force it. I didn't have to. I didn't have to manipulate it. I just it just kind of happened. Uh, yeah. But I still was planning. I still was using my mind, and it's kind of a it's kind of a balance between you can go extreme faith and sit around and just you know hope that God does something, and you're just sitting there just twiddling your thumbs, and you go extreme opposite, and you know, mitigate your whole life. But I really think it's the tension that keeps us on the path of God, that you, you balance those, that you have that faith that, you know, it's yours, God, but I'm also using the mind that you've given me, and looking for the steps that you've established by seeking the kingdom. Good stuff. Good stuff. Here's a question for you all right now. Um, some of you, if, if you're, all of us, not some of you, all of us. Um, how strong is your faith? Do you have faith? How strong is it? Or is, our, is, is this morning nothing more than a religious habit that you have? Do you have a living faith? Or, or are you just here at a religious habit or curiosity or something? Or something? If your faith is real, you are believing in things that you can't necessarily see and you won't get to see. Not yet. Ma'am, we're not home yet. <laughs> Sir, we're not home yet. But they're there. <laughs> Romans 1.20, the very creation, speaks of the invisible attributes of God. All right? What about, what about somebody here who's, uh, let's get real personal just for a bit. You've got a sin habit that is, has so much force, so much addictive power in your life that the attractiveness of the sin and the gratification of that sin behavior is so powerful, it offers more joy, it offers more satisfaction than the promises of God. You're more drawn to gratification of a sin problem than you are to the belief, Janice, that the home that he's preparing for us is 
far more wonderful than anything that could be offered. That we'll get to it in, in, in a while. Right about verse 20, 24 to 26, it says, Moses considered the pleasures of Egypt to be as nothing in comparison to what he was going to get. Do you know what Egypt had to offer Joseph? I mean, if you talk about Sin City, you could get what you want there, okay? It's like San Francisco and Chicago and Las Vegas. You could get what you want there. And he considered that to be all the best it had to offer to be as nothing in comparison to the kingdom of God. So this is a great question. Do you have something, some sin issue in your life that has such a grip on you that it's blocking you from God's kingdom and living out a vibrant, real faith? You've got to ask yourself, why are we being drawn to something that we're actually ashamed of? Romans chapter 6, verse 21. Why do we pursue things we're ashamed of? Don't you think, ma'am, we're not home yet, and that we should set our mind on things above where Christ is, not on the earth? Set your mind on things above where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. We should focus on those things. Okay? I'm sorry, but idols just don't work out well. Idols don't work out well. And if, we're, if we claim to be Jesus followers, we should have no gods before him. No idols. No idols. And we should have the ability to welcome like a longing friendship that you have. You see them in the distance and you hope for them. Okay? And the greatest promise of all is this. That for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. The greatest promise of all. If you have never accepted that promise by faith, and believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody gets to God except through him. You're, you're missing the kingdom of God. If you've never accepted Christ, I'm going to be standing back there. I want you to come talk to me. And we'll discover what it means to be born again. Let me pray for you right now. Abba Father, there are people here that need to cleanse out their hearts and get the idols out of there. And they need to realize they've been welcoming the wrong stuff. And they need to welcome you and welcome your promises and live by faith. And stop setting their heart on the things of this world. Abba Father, people here that believe that you're bad because you're not answering prayers they've prayed a million times. And they think you're bad because you're not giving them what they want. God, would you cut through the pain and the hurt and the anger and the bitterness? And would you reveal to them your heart and help them to see that if we could just have all the facts, you're not so stupid after all. And that you really do love us. Thank you for the people here that they just believe. Their faith is real and it's quiet and they just... They wake up with your promise, they go to bed with your promise, and, and the promises walk with them through the day, and they know how to greet the good stuff and, and, and reject the bad stuff. Thank you for those people, the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Would you please bless now? I ask in Jesus' name, amen.